Hello and welcome back to Islam Talk 101. I'm your host, Bakar Haltam. And in today's episode, we will be talking about the five pillars of Islam, which is the fundamental basic beliefs of every Muslim, no matter what sect you follow. If you walk up to a Muslim today and ask him what are the five pillars, they will all give you the same answer. The five pillars of Islam are as follows. Declaration of faith, daily prayer, giving to charity, fasting the month of Ramadan, and doing the pilgrimage ritual at least once in your lifetime. In order to consider yourself a Muslim, you have to believe in these five things, and these are the minimum, bare minimum requirements. A lot of Muslims do extra prayers, or extra fasting, or extra charity giving, or they go to pilgrimage many times, and they're always doing declaration of faith, but this is... This is un- this is not required. It is encouraged. Uh, the more you do, the better position you are in the afterlife, which will be for another episode. But the bare minimum in order to be accepted as a Muslim, both in this life and in the next. Now, you may have Muslims who do not practice these um, verbatim or constantly. Consistency is key when it comes to the Islamic faith. That you have to do, for instance, the prayers every day, the fasting of the whole month of Ramadan, once a year, one month every year, uh, depending when it comes. And you have to be consistent. But some Muslims, they miss prayers. Some Muslims, they miss fasting. And they have the chance to redo the prayers or fasting or charity. But uh, it is required. So if you miss some, but you still believe it in your heart, okay, this is, I'm I'm just slacking off. It's uh, It's okay. But... If you start disbelieving inside to say, you know, I, I'm not praying, not because I'm slacking off, I'm not praying because I don't believe in prayer. Or I'm not giving to charity because I don't believe it's required. Or, you know, it's um, th- that's not correct. They say if one pillar uh, is fractured or falls, then the whole Islamic building collapses because those are the pillars of Islam, the backbone. And one cannot stand without the other. In the Islamic faith. So not only is the action necessary, but the belief in the action as well. Now for the first pillar, the declaration of faith. It is as follows. When you enter Islam, or let's say you're born Muslim, you're, you, you're eventually, uh, by puberty, supposed to be saying these words. And it is, there is no God but God, and Muhammad is his messenger. Uh, some people would say, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. Or, there is no God but Allah, or God but God, and Muhammad is his final messenger. Any of these variations are fine, and uh, the reason being, Allah is just the Arabic word for God. So, let's say uh, you're a Christian or you're a Jewish person that uh, that's a native Arab and speaks Arabic and practices their religion in Arabic, then you would say you would pray to Allah, not to the Muslim God, even though we, the Muslims believe we all pray to the same God. But if you're a Jew and you want to pray to Yahweh, you say, you know, you can you can say uh, Allah. Or you're a Christian and you want to pray to God or Jesus. Or uh, you can say, uh, the, Arab, the Arab Christians would say Allah. So that's why saying Allah or God it's fine, is fine. Because God has 99 names, of course, in Islam, which is for another episode, of course. But the word God just means, or the word Allah just means God. As for the messenger part, uh, 
Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he didn't come up with anything new. It is uh, everything the Jews and the Christians believes, or the majority of them at least, we are a very similar religion. We are all part of the Abrahamic faiths. And uh, some people would even call Islam Abrahamic faith or religion 3.0 because we did not take away any of the old beliefs. We just, uh, I guess, uh, came back to roots. Uh, and uh, Because uh, Muslims believe that the Christians and the Jew- Jewish people they both came with their own books. We have the Torah for the Jewish people and then the Bible for the Christians. And if you go to a sermon uh, on Friday prayers for the Muslims, some imams will even quote the Torah or quote the Bible and, pre- and preach their teachings to the Muslims because we do believe in the majority of what they believe. We're very similar. We only differ on certain points, uh, which is I'll leave that for another episode. But... The Muslims believe that the Torah and the Bible are not the original Torah and the Bible, or not the original message, at least. So even though the faith came and it was true, they were led astray over time with changes or amendments to the religion that wasn't supposed to happen. And Islam just came back to the original message. That's all Islam is, uh, to the Arabs and Muslims at least. And Prophet Muhammad is who uh, God chose for uh, to bring the message back to the people. As for pillar number two, prayer, uh, God prescribed the Muslims five daily prayers, one at dawn, one at noon, one at afternoon, one in the evening, and one at night. So that's five daily prayers. They are Fajr, Duhur, Asr, Maghrib, and Aisha, and, you know, in the order that I mentioned earlier. And, uh, they, you know, each prayer doesn't take you more than two, three minutes. You read a little bit from the Quran and then uh, and then uh, do a few rituals, uh, physical rituals. As in you prostrate your head and you uh, you, uh, you you say a few prayers in, in, in the prayer, I guess. I'll, I'll describe it in detail in another episode because I don't want to take too much time. But it is five daily prayers and they are required. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of Muslims pray... Uh, a lot more than what's originally prescribed, and that's fine. It's actually encouraged. That's extra deeds, I guess you could say, or extra credit for the afterlife. But it is not required, and if you do not, if you if you miss the required prayers, you're required to uh, do makeup prayers, uh, or you know, if you just keep, or if you go back to the doing the prayers or commit, and you know, commit from here on out. You don't need a do all the old prayers that you missed for the three or four years you stopped praying or was uh, your prayer was spotty, I guess. But yeah, uh, it is daily, five daily prayers and they are required. Uh, some A lot of people, like I said, they do a lot of extras, but it's not, it's not uh, required to do so. Next, we have the giving to chari- charity, which is a mandatory uh, tax, you could say, for every Muslim, which is around 2%, 2.1%. Uh, of your income, and you give this once a year, usually after Ramadan, which is our next topic, or uh, at the end of day, end days of Ramadan, uh, before the Ramadan ends. But uh, this charity is to be solely used for uh, the poor and needy, and that's either they buy them food, or they, uh, or they uh, provide social programs, provide housing, you know, it's just basically social programs for the poor in order to lift them out of poverty in whatever way they can. A lot of people, they give a lot more than 2.1%, but 
But that is the bare minimum, and that is required for every Muslim. And if you don't pay it, I mean, you're not going to be forced to pay it by the government, but you are asked about it the day of judgment. That's why the belief system has to be there, that you have to believe in the charity, and if you don't give the charity, uh, then uh, you're going to be asked about it in the day of judgment, and you know, then there's repercussions for everything you do in this life. Of course, if you are in need of money, you actually can receive charity. So let's say you have a, a bad year or something, or bad you got laid off, or you're, then you can receive charity, especially if you have a family you're not able to provide for them 100%. Uh, or if you're an elderly lady or elderly man and you don't have anybody to help you provide uh, any sustenance as well. Uh, it, it was it was really heavy into uh, uh, providing for the poor and a lot of people, even though the tax rate was very low for the charity, they kept on giving more and more. At one point, one of the Islamic empires, I forgot which one it was, but at one point, over 35% of the land was given to charity, and this 35% of this land was used solely in order to help others. Uh, they called it a waqf, a waqf in Arabic, which is um, like a standalone. This isn't for the benefit of the government, for the benefit of business, for nothing. It's like somebody would uh, start planting a, a garden and anybody can help themselves, you could say. And yeah, 35% of the land uh, mass was that. It's inspiring, really, but that's uh, charity is big in Islam. Now for the fourth pillar is fasting the month of Ramadan, and that is usually done from dawn to dusk, and roughly it's from 5 o'clock in the morning to around 8 o'clock at night. Depending on what time of year it comes, uh, Ramadan, the Muslim calendar goes through the lunar uh, moon uh, calendar, uh, lunar month rather than the solar month. So uh, in in the West, it comes uh, in different times of year. Sometimes it's in summer, sometimes it's winter. If it's winter, you fast for shorter, and if it's summer, you fast for longer. I've gone through uh, fasting Ramadan for just less than 10 hours and two, uh, sometimes fasting 16 hours or somewhere around that ballpark. But uh, it is required, of course, and this is uh, solely for the sake of Allah, and it is... It is to help you feel for the poor. Uh, a lot of people who are not financially able, capable, even if they don't have to fast, they usually go hungry because they'll eat maybe once every day or maybe once every two days or three days even. So Ramadan is there as a reminder that there are some people that are living like this every year, not just the one month. And uh, a, a charity tends to increase many fold during the month of Ramadan. Not just in the Islamic uh, Islamic countries, but also in the Western nations. If you look up charity rates and you look at the month of Ramadan, you'll notice a big bump in that uh, in that during that month and uh, for a while after as well. But yeah, that's one of the main reasons. Also, it's kind of like to uh, Islam is a religion of struggle. The more you struggle in this life, the more uh, reward you get. Uh, the more you struggle with your desires, your whims. The it's all, it's all uh, nothing but more good deeds for you, and uh, struggling. You know, it's very easy to go drink a water or go order yourself a burger or something during Ramadan, and nobody will know. It's all between you and Allah and God. Uh, but it is a requirement, and if you excel in there, especially during Ramadan, if you do a good deed, it's multiplied manyfold. Uh, it, you're good to go, really. 
the Prophet, peace be upon him, was quoted saying that it's very strange for somebody who follows Islam uh, in, in the afterlife goes to hellfire because it's Islamic religion is so much, has so much forgiveness and opportunities to do good. Uh, because okay, even not in the Ramadan month, usually on your every average day, you got you do one good deeds worth of good, but you are given ten good deeds. So if you you only do what's uh, let's say you pick up a trash, it says a uh, uh, candy wrapper off the side of the road. It's like you picked up ten candy wrappers, but let's say you threw away a can of Pepsi. Well. It's you only get that one bad deed, so you know it's uh it's it's tipped in your favor I guess, and during the month of Ramadan that's multiplied many fold. Now for the final pillar is the pilgrimage, and you have to do this once in your lifetime, but there is uh there is requirements in order to be able to to be eligible for pilgrimage, and that is you have to be physically fit, you have to be financially stable, and you have to be an adult. This means that you have to have uh, enough income, or you have to have disposable income, where if you were to leave your family for the period of Al-Hajj, or the pilgrimage, then uh, they won't starve, right? You have to be an adult, as in you have to have reached the age of puberty or beyond. Uh, usually people go at the end of their lifetimes, as in when they're 60 or 70 years old, but there's a lot of people that go in their 20s or 30s. And even younger than that, but it's, uh, you know, uh, right now it's uh, really crowded in Mecca since over 3-4 million people go during the month of Dhul-Hijjah, which is the last month of the Islamic calendar, which is when the pilgrimage happens every year. Yeah, so a lot of young guys are encouraged not to go until they reach an, a little older age, in the 20s maybe, but 30s and beyond really. And uh, they are required to do this once in their lifetime. Now, if you're sick or you're not able to financially or you, you just don't have the uh, you just don't have the time, I guess you have a lot of responsibilities and you can't make the time. Uh, you are uh, forgiven for this. And if your intention is like you'd really love to go and your intention is pure, it's true, then uh, then it's as if you went, uh, you could say. But, uh, a lot of older guys, let's say they still want uh, somebody to do it on their behalf. They can ask their son or their nephew, please, uh, I can give you the money. I'm I'm a little weak this year. Could you do a pilgrimage uh, in my name, I guess you could say. So that nephew or the son would get the reward as for himself and he would get the reward for doing it for his father or uncle. But yeah, it is a requirement to do it at least once in your lifetime. Uh, back in the day, it was much more difficult journey than it is today. You could be traveling just to get to Mecca uh, in Saudi Arabia from weeks to many months just to get there and back. So it was a dangerous journey back in the day. Now you hop into a plane and you're there in less than 24 hours. And they have conveyor belts over there. It's, it's pretty comfortable now. I mean, it's still a pretty rough uh, rough. A pilgrimage, but it's a lot easier than it was back in the day. And even if you're not a practicing Muslim, as long as you believe in these, you are considered a Muslim. Only when you and when you choose not to believe in this, that's when you start lo uh, having shaky faith or even leaving the religion altogether.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Islam Talk 101. I am your host, Bakar Haldzam. If you'd like to leave any comments or reviews, please do this on iTunes. Uh, if you leave a positive one, I, I get in front of more and more people on iTunes, uh, as, a, and I'm, as in I'm promoted, and uh, the more knowledge around is uh, leaves everybody a winner. If not, you know, I'm, I'm glad you listened to the episode, and I hope you listen to the future episodes as well. You can visit our website at uh, islamtalk101.com in order to leave any comments or questions or even requests for future episodes on certain topics, and I'd be happy to oblige. I have a lot of episodes lined up, but I'd be if it's an interesting topic or if it's a, a highly demanded topic, I will gladly move it up into the head of schedule. Uh, thank you very much, and peace be with you.